and welcome to the latest Oral Health Foundation podcast. My name's Stacey and I'm being joined today by the lovely Karen. How are you doing? Thank you for that great introduction, Stacey. It's a better service than I normally get. Um, Only a class here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's brilliant. I mean, we're so proud to be able to introduce another one of our uh, mouth cancer ambassadors. Joe was um, diagnosed at uh, 26 years old, which is over a decade now. So obviously he doesn't really fit with the sort of age demographic that we normally look at. Um, So it's very interesting to get um, the story of somebody who's younger. Um, I mean, he had surgery to remove his his cancer. He had radiotherapy, et cetera, which he he didn't found very difficult to do. You know, going on, as we've spoken before, um, it has had an effect on his mental health, but he'll be able to tell you all about that. Um, I mean, he lives he lives in Southampton with his children um, and he is sort of uh, post mouth cancer. But as we say, the effects last for many years after that. So it's very important that that um, this is recognised and there is the support there for for um, everybody who needs it. Well, I can't wait to hear his story, Karen. Okay, Joe, do you want to just really quickly introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, obviously, Joe, uh, Joe Butler. So I've, um, I'm with him now. I'm 38 now. Coming up for 39. Um, living in Southampton. Um, I don't know what else to say, really. I've got four kids now, all since I was, or that I've had all since uh, I was sick. Um. Yeah, I've been eleven years. Eleven years now, just over eleven years since I was diagnosed and everything. Yeah. Um, working, got a great job, worked for a great company. You must have been really young when you yeah. were diagnosed. If it was, you know, you're in your thirties now, and it was eleven yeah. years ago. Um, how how old were you when you yeah. were diagnosed? Yeah, I was. I was twenty. I was twenty-seven. Uh, twenty-seven. Yeah, I was twenty-seven. Um, when I got oh, 26, sorry, when I got diagnosed with it. Um, but yeah, and it, it, I think it's one of those things that I'd probably I'd had for a while as well. Um, it was just sort of happenstance that I, I that it got sort of found. Um, so I went to the dentist, and it wasn't my normal dentist that I saw. It was incidentally my dentist's wife. Um, who's also a dentist who'd been out of the industry for a little bit, and she was covering him because he wasn't very well. And uh, yeah, she she noticed something in the in my mouth when she was just doing a checkup on a tooth that I had that had gone a bit wrong. But when I eventually came back and saw what it was, um, my biopsies and everything, it was sort of a suspicion that I probably had it for a number of years, especially with how it felt and everything. So probably early mid early to mid twenties that I it started, and yeah, then twenty six years like a whirlwind from there. <laughs> what were the symptoms that you had initially? If you don't mind me asking i didn't have anything um i had i had nothing really i had so what she saw was a very small um scar almost on the side of my tongue so it was um she, she did ask me when she looked at it she said you know have you had do you get ulcers and i'd always been very aware of the whole if you've got an ulcer for three weeks go and get it checked out and all that kind of stuff but it, it never was. It was sort of an ulcer for a couple of days and then it'd heal up. 
And then I'd get one nearby like a week later and that would heal up. And, and it was just sort of that. There was never a particularly long time that I had like the, the same ulcer or anything. Um, so it was just a tiny little scar. And it was only sort of when I found out what it was and sort of looking back over the past few, like over the past like bit of time, it was quite like, oh, well, I have, I've been, I've all of a sudden started picking up bugs really easily and started being under the weather and quite lethargic and everything, which was never really me before before that so I think it was now I would probably recognize those signs again but at the time there wasn't anything it was just business as usual really yeah um, um what did the dentist say to you when you know she first noticed yeah, it or, I can, I can because re- a lot of the times we find it's either they go right this is what I think this is what we want to do or they will yeah. go Let's just see. I'm sure it's nothing, but we're just going to see. Like, I'm just curious, what kind of approach did you yeah. take? It was pretty much the second one. So what what happened was she, like I said, she, she'd been out of, she'd not been practicing for, for a while. Um, she'd come in to cover Michael, the husband. Um, and that morning, the practice manager had had the conversation with her because it was Mouth Cancer Awareness Week. So they'd said like the big like, you know, welcome back sort of thing and this is what week it is and everything. And she put it to me like they had a not a quota, but they 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 were sort of encouraged to send anybody to the hospital for like um like diagnosis, you know, like for, for checkups and everything that, that met these certain criteria. So she and I was her first patient of the day. So very fresh in her mind. And she looked in my mouth and she saw this ulcer, which was quite near the tooth that I had a problem with. Um, and she she just said, "Oh, you've got a little ulcer there." Asked me a few questions about it, and I just said, "No, it's not really ever been a problem. Every now and again, and I probably had an ulcer a couple of weeks back. That's why it's still there." Um, and she said, oh, "Well, with mouth cancer awareness week, I've got to send so many people up to the hospital. It's nothing to worry about. You don't meet any of the risk factors, but do you mind if I refer your name?" And I went, "No, I don't mind. But whatever, you know, it's it's fine." Um. And that was it. <laughs> so that was she. She didn't think anything. So and it was the same. At, same at the hospital when I went there. Um, when I went to see the the consultant off that referral, um, and I went in. Uh, I think it was a registrar, not a consultant, but the, she she sort of said, "We don't understand why you're here. You don't meet any of the risk factors. Can I have a look?" She looked at it, and it was again the little scar, and she was like, "That's." nothing really to be worried about but you're here so we'll do a biopsy anyway so it was very much nobody thought anything including me yeah, wow um did they tell you what stage the cancer right. was at when you got your results back or did they not yeah i was yeah i was i was um let's say so i was quite advanced um so it's stage stage four when I well stage three sorry when I got it. So yeah. what was it like for you? So I quite, mean, quite advanced. Like you say, everyone thought, oh no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then finding out it was it was positive. What was it like? Um, yeah, it was it was a shock. Um, definitely, yeah, definitely a shock. It was very much. I, I remember going into the room and seeing uh, Austin who. He's my consultant who I've, I've still got quite a close relationship with now. Um, and everybody else in there. So, like, just walking into the room to get my results, not thinking anything of it, um, and there being sort of probably 
10, 11 plus people in this room. And as soon as I walked in, I was like, right, something, something's not, not right. Um, but I didn't, I, I didn't hear the word cancer at all. Uh, Austin didn't really say it. He, he talked very clinically as to what it was and everything. Um, so I, I don't think I really took it in probably until the day of my surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went from that, it definitely hit me when I went, when I went for surgery, yeah. uh, when I was trying to walk through the doors of the hospital. And I, I physically couldn't. I, I had to be sort of pulled. Um, I don't think until that point it really dawned on me what it actually mm-hmm. was. Um, and even when I was sort of, because I was, by, I was, I was, happened to be with my mum on that day. Um, she was coming out of the hospital after having a, a, a totally unrelated sort of, she'd been for something to do with a hand. She was coming out of the hospital. Um, and I just bumped into her and said, oh, I'm going for some results. Do you want to grab a coffee after after I'm done? So it just happened since she was with me. But then having to call everybody else and tell them, like my dad, who who was quite far away, and, and my friends and a few other people, family members and stuff, and having to ring them because none of them were there. Even those phone calls, I was very much like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got I've got something. Yeah, I've got to have surgery and, and, and potentially radio chemo. Why? What is it? Uh, it's Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> so it was... I don't think it hit me for... A good couple of weeks at least. I don't actually think as well that's quite that's quite common for um, people that especially are diagnosed younger. I mean, the youngest I spoke to was 23 when she got her diagnosis and it, it does, it can hit later. It's it's completely common. Um, if you want me asking, what was the surgery like? What kind of surgery did you have to have um, when you did have it? No, I, I don't mind. Oh, yeah, so I had, I had a radical neck dissection um, and then I had a uh, radial forearm flap, so I've got a, I can't really see it, but I've got a wonderful sort of half mm-hmm. a tattoo there. Um, and the, the scar that obviously runs runs down my arm all the way to, to here. Um, and my wonderful mouth cancer tattoo that I've got as well. Um, but I, uh, I had obviously... Third, well, just under a third of my tongue removed, replaced with a graft from my arm, and then a vein and artery all into the side of my neck, and obviously went from under my ear all the way to under my chin. Mm-hmm. When I went in for the surgery, there was a, it was sort of unclear how extensive it would be, um, from a point of view as whether I was going to have to have my, my jaw split or not, um, but that wasn't done in the end, which I'm quite thankful because I have seen, obviously people since that have had that done, and it was one of the things that. I think was really bothering me because obviously I have a beard, um, but that would have been quite visual. I mean, this is quite visual anyway, where it's not going back, but it, it would have been a lot, a lot worse for me. And um, yeah. Um, but yeah, the surgery was, was pretty rough. Um, six, just over 16 and a half hours I was in. Um, I had, again, Austin uh, and a, a fantastic registrar called Amy, who was, um, who stayed in for pretty much the entire surgery. Um, and she was the one who actually stitched me all back up. Um, and she'd had a, a conversation with me the night before because um, I, I couldn't sleep. I was in the hospital, couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything. They gave me, they gave me two or three sets of sleeping tablets and I just just got, I think I got more and more hyper the more sleeping tablets I had. I just couldn't settle down. And she came and sat with me the night before. Um, 
and sat for a good few hours talking to me and everything. And she took it upon herself to make sure she stayed in the surgery to stitch me up because one of the things that I was worried about was how it was going to look. And she did a like particularly good job of it. Um, I remember very, very clearly <laughs> um, waking up in intensive care. Um, I lost quite a lot of blood. Um, there was some complications which happen, um, stuff that I was aware of and everything. Um, so, yeah, lost quite a lot of blood and everything. Woke up in intensive care and obviously having been under for 16 and a half hours, waking up, I couldn't speak. There was a nurse at the end of the bed and she said, you know, welcome back, try not to panic sort of thing. And I'm like, okay. She says, if you need to, you can't speak. So if you need to talk, I've got a pen and a paper for you. If you write down whatever. And I remember taking it off of her and write, I've still actually got the pad of paper somewhere because everything, everything on it was just a black memory. But I wrote on there, um, how's the other driver? Because I was totally convinced I'd been in a car accident. That's why I was there. Um, it just totally went out of my mind. And I, I mean, it took me, it, it, it took me having a conversation with that nurse for about 30 minutes for her to convince me that I'd been in to have cancer removed rather than me being in for an accident um, because I was just that out of it. Um, I got moved back from there back into um, high dependency, I think it is. There's, there's one down from intensive care. Um, and yeah, it took me about 10 days to recover. Um, very stubborn person. As I found out, I've always knew I was stubborn, but I don't think I realised how stubborn I was. I didn't want to be fed. I didn't have a peg. That's one of the things that I didn't have, and it's probably one of the things that if if it happened now, I would have done differently. But I refused to have a peg. I didn't want to be dependent on that, so I had an NG tube. And the problem was <laughs> I just kept pulling it out. So then they had to keep, keep taking me down and putting it back in and trying to feed me. I, I had the... Uh, a bit of a reaction to the food that they were putting in the NG tube as well, which made me quite poorly. So having all this happen, not being able to, I mean, my tongue was, was massively out of my mouth. My mouth was, I couldn't move really anything of it. I had a breathing tube in, um, which is an experience in itself. Um, and then at the NG tube and, and then trying to be sick because I'm having this reaction to it. Um, the upside, I got, I got ended up with a ward to myself because they thought I'd contracted a bug, so they put me in a ward by myself, so I had nobody else around me, and this massive six bed ward all to me. Um, I was on eye floor of Sheffield Hallam, I lived in Sheffield at the time, um, so I was on eye floor, so quite high up, and it was uh, bonfire night, so I was sort of sat staring out, watching out the fireworks go over Sheffield, not feeling particularly great, but, but having quite some positive memories from quite a crap time um, quite a view i imagine yeah. as well being that high up in the hospital on bonfire night yeah yeah it was it was that and how because my, my surgery was actually on the 30th of on the 30th of october mm -hmm. um so i was still in obviously for the for the bonfire night but i was coming out of i was in high dependency on the 31st um and the nurses i mean the nurses on i ward on the head and neck ward in sheffield are just the best they're, they're just great um this one in particular jane who who was pretty much with me throughout the whole time that i was there um she 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 got a fancy dress and everything and i was sat in this room looking out towards the the corridor 
and there's like a ghost goes past and a skeleton goes past and then a green reaper goes past and I'm like, what is going on? It's like, but they just they just know how to have a laugh and how to make of quite bad situations. But yeah, it was um yeah the surgery itself. I was asleep for, mm-hmm. but the aftermath was it was interesting. It makes a massive difference as well when healthcare workers, whether they're nurses or doctors, can have a bit of a joke and a laugh with patients because yeah. when you're in there, you're kind yeah. of stuck. It, it it really does a wonder for morale. Yeah. yeah. And they, I mean, it, it's it got to be tough for them. Like we, we as patients, we go in, we go out. You either get better or you don't. Um, they see all that. They see the people, you know, I, for when I was in for those 10 days, I, I there, there were a number of people that passed away on the walls. Um, and it's got to be tough for them. It, it's got to be, you know, it, it, they they see those people day in, day out and everything. And I think they've got to have a bit of levity in their jobs because it, they, they've got to look after people. They've got to have a good laugh and they've got to have, they've got to be the right. I couldn't do what they do. I'd, have no, I'd be taking it home with me every day. Be, I just wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but yeah, they, they were just a great set of people. <laughs> And how long were you in hospital? Uh, I was discharged on the morning of my 10th day after my surgery. I was determined. They, they said to me when I went in that, that the shortest anybody had been ever, ever from their point of view, the quickest time anybody had been out was 10 days. days. So I said, I'm going to do it quicker. And I did it just, just shy of. So, yeah, I was determined. <laughs> What was the recovery like once you actually got home? I know you mentioned they thought you might have needed some radiotherapy. Um, did you end up having to have it? Yeah, I had both. Yeah. Yeah, I had both. Um, so I started my chemo and my radio in December and went all the way through until February. Um, the the immediate getting home after the surgery was quite difficult because I had, obviously... I didn't have a breathing tube that had come out by that point, but I I, I still had some, it was still healing and everything. So I was still having to do a lot of that kind of stuff myself. Um, my arm was particularly bad with all the stitches and everything that were in it. My neck had obviously was quite swollen and everything. And the biggest thing for me was not being able to eat. You know, it took me months um, really to, I think the first proper food I tried was Christmas. Um, but even after that, that was just, because I was determined to eat something. And then after that, I went back onto sort of liquids and everything, but it, it took me a substantial amount of time um, to to eat, um, which was the biggest biggest thing. Cause I love cooking and I love doing that kind of stuff and I, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was a real impact on me really. Um, the, um, the other thing from my point of view was I couldn't speak because obviously I'd had half my, you know, part of my tongue removed. So speaking was, I could do little bits and pieces, but nothing. Like, I wouldn't have been able to have a conversation with anybody, especially not like this. And that took me um, about about nine months to get sorted um, with speech and language. So that was, that was rough. And just as I started to make steps in both sort of not eating, but my taste buds were coming back and starting to adjust. So the stuff that I was having liquid-wise was starting, I was starting to enjoy it. Um, and I was starting to get to grips a little bit with words and things like that. And that's when my chemo and my radio hit. hit. And the, the chemo was what I expected. It was rough. You were sick a lot. You have no energy. You know, I was in for a full day, 
having my chemo. So I had fluids, then chemo, then fluids, then monitoring, and then went home. So it was like, well, it was a day, it was like a day and a night, and then I went home the following morning. Um, for for a few occasions, I can't remember exactly how many. I think it was six that I went in for. Um, and um, that was that was rough. That's what you that's what I expected. You know, they were very. You will be sick. You will feel like you know. You will feel terrible and everything. That was that was that was fine. That was not fine. The radiotherapy was the big one for me, um, because of where it was. So it was my neck, my mouth, um, up to the side of my face, um, and that was every day. Uh, Fifteen minutes in the machine. So you, every day having to drive to the hospital. Every day going into the machine. The only day that I got given off was Christmas Day, but that was on the only condition that Boxing Day I went morning and evening. So to make up for it, um, I was there on my birthday. I you know, was in January. Um, I was there on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. You know, it was the whole thing. Um, and the radiotherapy was the one that was massively undersold. And you know, it, they weren't really clear mm-hmm. to me. And most of the people I spoke to, most of the other patients that I spoke to that, that sort of like McMillan and Head and Neck put me in touch with were um didn't really have the same experience with radiotherapy. Either they'd not had it or they only had a very light amount of it, whereas I had quite an intensive course of it. So my, my taste buds went altogether. The only thing that I could taste as awful as this sounds, I, I'm always I, I talk about this with anybody and I'm always tell the truth, no matter how gruesome it is, but the only thing I could taste was burning but that burning was my throat mm-hmm. so it was that's the only thing that I could taste everything tasted and smell of burning skin um it got blisters sort of up my face down my neck um yeah it radiotherapy was unpleasant um and there was nothing that you could do about it you know they, they even said some people have major reactions some people have minor reactions you've got quite an intensive course you're probably going to have the latter um, but it was it was particularly bad. You know, you'd walk outside, walk into the car to go to your next radiotherapy appointment, and there'd be a breeze, and it hit your skin, and you'd feel like something just set you on fire. Um, and and I still have lingering effects of that now from a combination of the surgery and the radiotherapy with the muscle and everything and some of the nerve endings that I still have issues. It's a very small price to pay, and it's one that I, I pay gladly. But yeah, it, the radiotherapy was the real tough one for me. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the one. Now I have kids and I've got small children. I, I would obviously get treatment again if I needed to, mm-hmm. but radiotherapy was always the one that I said if if it was radiotherapy, it would give me pause. I would be a bit like, well, do I, um, you know, Definitely. the surgery and the chemotherapy, yeah, fine, but the the the, the sorry the, the chemo and the surgery fine, but the radiotherapy would be a bit. Yeah, it wasn't a pleasant experience for me. How long did the side effects from the radiotherapy last for you? Um, you know, like you said, the the burning skin, the blisters. Um... Yeah, the the blisters lasted probably about. Well, the 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 burn, the redness, and the burning, and everything like sunburn was probably about two months afterwards mm-hmm. that it finally sort of abated. The blisters were a bit quicker than that. Um, the stiffness and the, because my skin on this side is quite leathery now, partly because of all all of that. That's still the case now. Um, I've still got lack of sensation on it and everything, and that'll that'll never come back. Um, but yeah, it was very um, yeah, it was, it was a couple of months, a few months at least, a couple of months to a few months mm-hmm. that it was still a problem. 
um yeah <laughs> and how are you now how is it you know this many years down the line uh what the yeah i've yeah i've got more i've got quite a bit of nerve damage uh on that side so i've got i've got no feeling from here down um so i can't feel any of this i can't feel in my ear which is weird um or any of this and anywhere to my scar and just just sort of just below it um same with my chin and same with this corner of my mouth and my nose um and that and obviously inside as well same with the same with like my gums inside um so i don't really have any sensation apart from like i said little things like every so often i'll get like a muscular twinge in it which will it's crippling agony it really does hurt and that's because of the surgery um and some of the sort of lingering damage from that um and then i'll have issues with sen random sort of sensitivity on the skin so although i can't feel it the nerves will trigger every now and again and think that there is something happening so they sort of remember the damage that was caused to them and every so often i get the exact same feeling that i had when i was in the middle of the radiotherapy um and then i've got sort of a lingering element of pain that never really goes away um but yeah, so it's yeah, yeah. I still, it's still, I still have the effects now. Just because, as well, you mentioned the speech and language therapy. Um, how was that? How did it go? Um, how long did you have to have it? Um, I was with speech and language for, I think I was discharged about a year after my surgery. In its entirety, it took me about, like I said, just about about nine months to have proper conversations with people again. Mm -hmm. Um where people where people didn't say so the, the, the funny or not funny i'm not sure if it is or not but people used to um hear me trying to talk so i was i was mm -hmm. i, I at the end of mcdonald's um getting a milkshake because they were the one thing that i could drink and i could eat and it really got me by I was trying to get some milkshake and i think the guy behind the counter thought that his moment in the sun had finally come when I walked up to the counter and asked for this strawberry milkshake and he thought this years of practice in sign language had finally come to fruition because it, it, what he thought was in front of him was somebody that was deaf because of how I was speaking and he signed I don't know sign language I'm not gonna do it but he signed at me and I just went <laughs> I don't know what to do, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I didn't get my milkshake. I was most upset, but yeah, he, uh, yeah. So that's what I sounded like, and that, I sounded like that for quite a while. You know, my friends used to joke about it. They used to, they used to tell people that I was deaf because of how I sounded, um, or arrogant. I'm not sure which one they went with, but one of the two. Ignorant, sorry, but yeah, they used to. Um, it it was it was difficult to make complete sentences. It, it it sounded like I'd never heard the word properly, and that was because I couldn't make the. You've spent sort of twenty you know twenty plus years saying a word a certain way, and your your tongue doing what you need to do to make that word form, mm -hmm. and then it don't do it. And then that coupled with I, I suffered from slight aphasia, as well. So even when I could get the word. The wrong one came out, <laughs> which was, um, yeah. So yeah, it was, mm -hmm. it, yeah. <laughs> but about about a year after, I think I was I was finally discharged from speech and speech and language. Yeah, um, I can't, I can't imagine the awkwardness of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, 
I've got a I've got a better awkward story than that one. So <laughs> this is a bit morbid, but I was in for my um for my surgery. So I was recovering from my surgery, so it was the ten days that I was recovering. I was in this obviously room by myself. Um and it I'd got sort of I was hooked up to everything. So I'd got all the drips and everything like that, and I'd got a, a drain through my neck that was on the other side of me that I had to carry around. So I had these big wheel and I, I was able to get up and walk around quite a bit and they encouraged me to do so. So it got quite late at night and they came around and they turned all the lights off and closed all the doors. And I thought, I mean you haven't got a watch or anything in there. So I was like, oh it must be must be bedtime. I need to go to the toilet. So I opened the door into this very, very dark corridor. Um, walked out and realised that there were two porters in front of me and they, they were pushing like a, a carriage thing. And they, it was quite a narrow corridor in Sheffield than I was. So they were pushing this carriage thing and there's two porters and in my, it's night and everything. And they just sort of stood there. Um, so I sort of was like, oh, I can't, can't quite get around. And I sort of, I was sort of wedged in and I put the pulley thing over one side and started to climb over randomly this push this cabinet thing that they were pushing and about halfway across it so I was so I had one leg at one side like on on part of the frame of it and one leg at the other side and and it dawned on me that this was somebody that had passed away that they were wheeling out <laughs> yeah um so I quickly backtracked but I, I thought about backtracking I thought well I'm already committed now so I hid in the bathroom for two hours. <laughs> and then what made it worse was about two years ago, I was out with my friends uh, at a bar in Barnsley and we were having this conversation and we were just chatting away and everything. And there's these two guys stood next to me and this one guy is telling this other guy this story of this time that it was a porter at a, a hospital in Sheffield and he was pushing the dead body out of it and this random patient decided to try and clamber over it and all that. That was me. <laughs> oh, yeah, small world, small world. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why oh my nothing goodness. in my life will ever be awkward again because of that one moment. <laughs> it's just crazy. And it's like... Every everybody like all my friends like will look will look at it and go yeah that sounds about right yeah yeah, yeah that sounds about right for you oh, I, <laughs> I, I know now if they come around and shut the doors and turn lights off don't leave the room like but yeah I mean yeah, I, I wouldn't realize. have known that I would have thought the same thing no. I'm sure <laughs> no, you will now <laughs> yep I know but, now yeah. <laughs> yeah oh goodness me <laughs> oh, right anyway yes um. Yeah, with your with your mouth cancer journey, diagnosis, recovery, um, are you still getting checked on a regular basis, or um, how often do you yeah. have to go back and get checked, or do you even have to go back and get checked regularly now because it's been yeah. over a decade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see, I see. Even though I'm in Southampton, like I've got quite a good relationship with with Austin and the team up in Sheffield and Barnsley, and they pretty much all know me up there. Um, I still go up there for regular checks. Um, so I will, I've, I've actually, within the past year, I think I'm on my first yearly checkup now. So I think I was seen about six months ago. I think I've got another few months and then I'll be seen again. Um, but up until then, I was seen every 
either every month, every two months or every three months, depending on. But I've had a couple of scares within that as well. So there's been a couple of times where they've looked in my mouth and there's been something that wasn't quite right. So they've sort of increased frequency and then when they've dealt with it, they've decreased frequency again. But yeah, I I still see them. Um, 10 years is sort of the danger window. So 10 years is the, the if it's going to come back, it's more likely to come back in yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm obviously out of that just. Um, but I will still get checked every year at a minimum for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. Just to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know you mentioned that the dentist is the one that spotted this, but, you know, she didn't suspect anything at the time. But what about you? Did you know that dentists were able to check for yeah. cancer signs? Didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. And that's why I didn't mind when she said, do you mind if we refer you up to the hospital? I was like, no, I mean, probably part of it was curiosity on my part. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, I wonder what it is. I wonder, I, I thought, oh, I keep getting ulcers in that area. I wonder if there's a reason for it, you know. Um, but no, I didn't I didn't think that dentists really... If I'd have thought that I had mouth cancer, I wouldn't have called my dentist. I wouldn't have gone to the dentist to get checked out. I would have gone to a GP. And then ironically, the GP would have then referred me to a dentist of the hospital and it would have slowed the whole process down. So it's definitely not something that I think is out there enough. The, the kind, I don't know if it would have been the same if it had been if it had been my regular dentist, if it had been not mouth cancer awareness week, if you know she hadn't have had that briefing that morning, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, but yeah, I'd like to, I mean, dentists are definitely, I think they're definitely, when it comes to anything like that, they're definitely need more credit than they get probably <laughs> yeah just because we're um we're getting to the end of the uh of the session talking to each other um is there anything that you think yeah. i haven't mentioned or haven't asked you that actually is quite important to share or something you'd like to share but hasn't necessarily fitted with any of the questions that i've asked um no not really i just i think i I think one of the things that the, one of the things that helped me, one of the reasons why I obviously said that I wouldn't mind doing this and everything, and and I have spoken with a number of people before through the hospital, and they put me in touch with people. Is it's all one like doctors, nurses, specialists, and everything can tell you all the information they've got clinically. Speaking to another patient um, and speaking to other people since and before um, is probably what helped me most to deal with it because you sometimes feel quite alone um because nobody quite understands and i think yeah i just think that people need, need that connection and that speaking to other people um who've been through it because you realize that some of the stuff that you're going through is pretty common um so yeah that's, that's it really for me is there any advice that you'd give someone that might be going through the same thing or um they're concerned if they've got a symptom that they haven't have been hadn't checked out or um just yeah what would you have wanted to hear when you were going through this um do you have any sort of words you would share to someone yeah i mean i i my my partner, my partner Vicky gets this from me all the time. Whenever she goes, she she will sit there casually, but we sat on the sofa, and she will go, "I've got an ulcer," and I'm like, "Where? When? How long? What is it?" Let's have a look straight away. Um, my friends hate that about me, but 
my mission is to make sure that none of the people I care about ever end up with something like what I've gone through. Um, so the only piece of advice I give people is if, 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 even if it doesn't meet the whole, you know, there for three weeks, if it's regular, if it's coming back, if it's something that's bugging you, if it's just get somebody in the medical profession to have a look at it. Um, a, a tongue biopsy is a tiny inconvenience. It's a, such a small inconvenience. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, you need a stitch in your mouth sometimes, depending on how large it is. And yeah, that bugs you because it scratches the inside of your mouth and everything. But do you know what? If I'd have had a biopsy two, three years before, I wouldn't have a third of my tongue missing. I wouldn't have a scar on my arm. I wouldn't have had to go for surgery, chemo, radiotherapy and everything. I've been through for the past 11 years. Um, but it is just, just get it checked out, really. And for people that are going through it, it's the talk to the people around you, talk to other people who've had it. Don't, no question that you can ask people is silly, is not wanted, is, you know, ask away um, if you want to know it and it's going to help you come to terms with it, um, then, you know, ask away. And the people around you, your family, your friends and everything, just tell them how you're feeling. Uh, one of the things that I probably didn't do enough was talk to the people around me. Um, and then afterwards, I got diagnosed with, with PTSD symptoms, so um, which is something that never really goes away. There's still, you know, Macmillan Abbott will come on TV and I'll burst into tears every now and again because it, it, it just hits a nerve. Um, and that's because my nature is very things deal with it, get to the end of it. And then I got to the end of it when everything was done and I was like, what happened? Um, but yeah, talk to people. Thank you so much, yeah. Joe. I've learned a lot from you and I'm just so appreciative for your time. Well, Stacey, that was interesting to listen to, wasn't it? I mean, getting somebody else's point of view, um, especially a, a male who, as I said, doesn't, doesn't fit with most of the categories. Uh, did you uh, did you learn something from that too? Absolutely. I mean, it's so often we hear about how mouth cancer is caused by alcohol or smoking or more often than not a combination of both. But I think there has been a rise recently in non-related uh, risks, uh, not non-related risks, but a lot of cancers caused without some of the risk factors in it. So it is really good to hear how it doesn't discriminate anyone can get it and it's really important to know all the signs and symptoms because you just never know you might end up afflicted with it or it could be a close friend or family member you just do not know yes nobody is exempt um unfortunately so um anyway we'll just leave for now uh we've got another ambassador story coming up next um a lady called sarah and i'm sure you'll be really interested in listening to her story too 